Okay, everybody, we are back with part three of discussion. I did not think this thing was going to be three parts, but conversation, this is literally our FaceTimes again, people. This is what happens. Conversation just flows. Um, for those who are listening to this conversation on Spotify, um, the audio version, um, I'm here with my friend Bree. We are talking about mental health in the church. Um, we've been going for two hours now. We are back with part three of this Um and if you if you haven't listened to the other parts, go back and listen to the other parts now. Um, and we're just gonna hop right back into the conversation. I ended with talking about um, education, going back to the point you made about education. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to say that I think it's very important for the church. Okay, so, so the first the first thing I talked about was the the cry room. I remember where I left off now, okay. but. Um, talking about having mental health resources in the church. I don't think mm -hmm. we have enough designated um, okay. areas for, for mental health in the church, whether it may be um, like therapist office in the church or something like mm -hmm. that, which has forced either people to go outside of the church and look for it, which I'm not saying if you do go to, um, you can go to other therapists outside of the church. I'm not saying that, but I think that forces people who really want to do something inside the church to go outside or forces yeah. other people who really have, who are passionate like you to create other avenues um, and make their own clinics or things like that of that nature, which can be one taxing, can be expensive, can be all these other different things to where if the church yeah. would just kind of designate an area to say, okay, this is where the mental health can be addressed here. Um, that may be an option. And I understand there may be a spacing issue in some churches, whatever the case is. But I think if we really put our heads together in the church, we can find ways of that. Um, I agree. That's number one. And then number two, which totally just escaped my mind at this point. What what in the world did I first mention when I just when I just hopped on here? Because you, you're going to have to remind um, me. Educate. Are we like about education? Yes. And how we can better educate? Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to the church and mental health. I think the biggest thing that we can do as the church is educate ourselves yeah. on depression and anxiety. And what I mean by that is depression, we love to lump depression and anxiety into this one thing of, oh, okay, someone mm -hmm. is struggling with depression and anxiety. Do we know that I've, so I study psychology in school or I studied psychology in school. Um, one, because I love how what psychology is about and i wanted to better learn how to relate to people what and i've always been interested in how people work and what makes them tick and why they do the things they do all of that nature but in in the mental health field and learning the psychology field and and learning when it comes to especially with mental health um there is this whole big book of this disorders or especially when it comes to like mental health disabilities or things and you talked about it now. There's there's social anxiety uh, when it comes to depression. Yeah. There's manic depression. There's it's broken down into so many different things that are all different, which manifests yeah. itself in in different ways. And it's also um, has to be treated differently for each one. So I think it's important as a church that we educate ourselves um, in that. And I know that takes time. Um, I'm not saying study every single thing because maybe somebody doesn't have that time. But I think we need to invest time, invest some time in the church uh -huh. in studying um, different disorders or different things when it comes to I mental agree. health, different things when it comes to anxiety. Because again, we say, oh, you're struggling with depression and anxiety. And I think a lot of times the the struggle is we try to deal with something the same way. Uh 
um, uh-huh. for everything, and that's not that's not possible. Different things need to be addressed certain way. You wouldn't address, um, okay, just talking about church issues. You wouldn't address lust the same way you would as pride, or you wouldn't address stealing uh-huh. the same way you would as unforgiveness. All those things are different. So in the same yeah. way, again, for those who are just joining on, we're not talking about mental health being a sin. I'm just trying to use that context because we're talking about church issues overall or church topics that are kind of um, um, unaddressed in the church. But we're t- yeah. I want to use that as an example. Again, mental health and, and depression, anxiety is not a sin. I'm going to make that very clear. Um, but in those same ways that different things need to be addressed differently and this is the same way mental health um uh-huh. when it comes to different depressions different different anxieties different mental yeah. struggles need to be addressed differently i don't know if you have any comments on that but those are two yeah, of, two I, of my points there that i was kind of thinking about so i 100 agree and first i i think this honestly is why i became so passionate about therapy and enough to want to change my major for going back to school. I 100% believe that every church needs to have an on-site therapist. I think that we need to treat a ther- like a licensed therapist as an extra pastor. Um, if they are a licensed therapist, I think that we need to have that just so, one, it will create an even ground of it's okay to be a Christian and see a therapist. Um, two, it'll be a welcoming environment. I feel like it'll help people feel that they can come to the church with mental health issues and they will find help and healing, not only through the word of God and not only through attending church, but also through seeking help. Three, I think that therapists, if anyone has ever tried to get an appointment with a therapist or find a therapist, it is so hard because most therapists like aren't accepting new clients or a lot of therapists don't match with your insurance and they could be too much. Or like there's so many factors that play into finding a therapist that I think having one in the church as part of the pastoral team and funded by the church is something that we need. And it will really bridge that gap between, okay, well, I have mental illness and I'm a Christian. Mm. Okay, well, there is a therapist at this church who will be able to help you. I think that's something that all churches need to offer. And I really truly do hope that that is something that we see more in the church and that we see more in the future. Um, as long as there's people like Josh and I advocating for it, I hopefully, I think that there's a bright future for it. But anyways, um, I really do. I believe that every church needs to have a resource because as easy as it is, as it is to refer people to a therapist as a pastor, it'd be so much easier if there was a therapist that they knew of or if there was a therapist within the church that would be able to on-site help somebody because I think we need that. Um, also, I think that there's a lot of times where we go to pastors for mental health issues and not all the time they have every single answer. Again, they are not licensed in being a therapist. Mm. They have a pastoral degree like mm-hmm. they're your pastor not your therapist and a lot of the time we rely on our pastors to give us that therapeutic That's answer good. and that therapeutic response and we need to have a licensed therapist sometimes we need someone who understands our brain um Again, I think it's more convenient if you go to a pastor and a therapist, not just a pastor, not just a therapist. I think you need both, but I think it'd be even more helpful if you have a therapist in your church as a part of your pastoral team to help and to help the people within the church when things happen. Um, 
going on to the second topic you were talking about, about education, um, like I said, I think that's suicide prevention. And I think that mental illness needs to be taught like it is young kids fire prevention. A lot of people are like, well, I don't want to teach my kids about suicide because that'll make suicide like a seed in their head. That'll make them think of suicide. Um, as long as your kids have social media or any part of like social media or are watching movies or are watching TV shows, they're going to know about suicide. As long as you allow your kids to be on the internet and to be active in the social world, they're going to know about suicide. I hope that none of your future kids or anyone's future kids know a friend at that young of an age that commits suicide. But I've heard from people who know nine-year-olds that commit suicide. Nine-year-olds. Yeah. Like, that someone who's nine, that's so scary to me because we don't want to plant the seed of talking about prevention for suicide because we're afraid that it'll plant the seed in our kid's head and make them think that suicide is an option, but that's not what prevention is. Like, if you're teaching a kid about how to escape a fire out of their house at a elementary school assembly, you're not making the kid want to go light a fire in his house so that he can practice his plan of escape. No, you're teaching him the harm in doing it and how to get out of it if it does happen. For example, if your future child has a mental illness, don't you want the schools to be teaching him ways that he can cope and ways that he can get better and seek help without it being like, oh, well, suicide is an option. Again, you don't want to light a fire in your house to practice your escape plan. You're not going to want to commit suicide to see if the plans that they're teaching you is actually going to work. It's prevention, and it's something that needs to be taught in schools from a very young age because we see it at a young age. There's no reason why a nine-year-old should be committing suicide. Somehow that nine-year-old knew that suicide was an escape, but he never knew the prevention to escape that. And I think that's the problem, and that's the benefit of education is we need to have that education. It's not like we should. It's not like we could. No, we need to have that education because there are so many kids that are taking their lives at such young ages because we, not even just the church, we as people in general aren't talking about suicide at young ages. And it's sickening. It really is sickening. Nine years old, I like can't even accept that. A nine-year-old. My aunt, well, my dad's cousin, is a teacher, and she works with students that have severe mental illnesses. And there was a nine-year-old that was just sent to a mental hospital because he tried to commit suicide. Mm. Like, once you think of that or once you know somebody, you're like, what are we doing wrong? And it's that we're not educating. We're not speaking about it. And I think the best way to educate is to speak about it. Within the past year, I've become so vocal on my mental health issues and my mental illnesses because I think it's something that people need to hear. People need to know that the people who they know and love and the people who they went to high school with, the people who they go to church with, they're suffering. People need to know what we're going through. We need to be vulnerable. There's so much education and vulnerability about your your issues and what you're going through. And I think as the church, we need to step down from the pride and we need to get over the fact that we're so strong in our faith to realize mm-hmm. that if we have an issue with mental illness, if we have an issue with lust, pride, fear, anything, we need to speak up about that because it will help others know, okay, well, how do you get over it? How does it help you? That's the whole point of this. There's people asking us, what do you do in this situation? They're not just thinking of that situation. It's because they've been through that situation. And they want to hear some from someone that they know and trust how that situation was avoidable or how they achieved something out of it and how they came out of it. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, for those who are hopping in the chat or hopping in the video, um, feel free. To, so we're talking about mental health in a church. Um 
how both go together. We're talking about one separately. doesn't really matter. But if you have any questions specifically about mental health or any comments, one, feel free to put them in the comments themselves or feel free to use that little question box there. We'll, we'll answer any questions. And you said, uh, I want to talk about two points you said, Brie. You talked about um, education-wise and how important that is and how it's like they're going to get it from somewhere. Because you talked yeah. about like if if your child has a phone, they're, they're, they're exposed to the world here. It's not like we – and I think sometimes parents or – the church takes on that, you know, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm not going to bring up that conversation. It's like, it's like sex <laughs> almost like, yeah. I know, I know that's a hot topic in church. That's not really talked yeah. about either. Um, mm -hmm. but it's like, I'd rather not say nothing at all than to say the yeah. wrong thing. They're so afraid of saying yeah. the wrong thing. They don't say anything at all, which becomes even more dangerous. And it allows, um, them to be taught by or taught by other people or exposed to different things or, um, form their own opinions and thoughts outside of what the word of God says versus yeah. if um, people would just not be so afraid to say the wrong thing and yeah. address something. Um, I think that's so important. And you said also that whew, this one, that was so good. You said people need a therapist and a pastor. A lot of times they, they treat pastors as their therapist. And I uh -huh. think, whew, I don't, that, that's so good because that's so true. And I think yeah. what people really are seeking is that therapeutic help. But a lot of times, um, they, they, they hear their pastor talking about the word of God or they hear something. Uh -huh. So they automatically assume that they may be licensed in yeah. or, um, knowledgeable of, of even like that therapeutic background. Um, so they go to them and their pastors just speak it from a pastoral heart and not a therapeutic approach, yeah. um, and how to approach. Cause even we talked about different, um, disabilities or different, different types of depression, different types of anxiety or different things. There also are different, um, um, ways of therapy in which, in which mm -hmm. one I want to address in just a couple seconds. Cause I want to go back in the comments, but, um, there are different ways. So I think that's so good and not having both and not just assuming, yeah. Oh, because I have a pastor, he's also my therapist. So I'm just going to talk yeah. his ear off and really see if he knows exactly how to approach what I'm dealing with and everything of that nature. Um, so I think it's so good for people to have both, just like you said. And yeah. I want to go back to the, speaking about different types of therapy of um, Noah, he, he said, um, I just thought of, I just thought of something that, that should be totally researched. I wonder how music therapy can be used to address mental health in the church since music is already so heavily utilized in church. That's such a good point. That's actually brilliant. There is so much, and I think a lot of people, I think worship music and like in general is therapeutic for so many people. Like a lot of people, um, a lot of people, including me, I got to a point where I could only fall asleep and actually stay asleep at peace in sleep and like peacefully sleep with no, I used to get awful dreams. I truly do believe that the enemy would attack me in my sleep. Um, and that is real. And that is very real. That happens to a lot of people, but I used to wake up at night, like sweating, so fearful. Like I could not even move. I felt like my body was paralyzed because I was like so consumed by fear. Um, 
And the only way that that stopped was listening to worship music throughout the night. And I shared, I think it was about a year ago, I shared a video that kind of blew up on TikTok. And it was me talking about one night that I went to bed and I put my worship music on. And it was the first time in like over a month that I would woken up from like that paralyzed feeling and feeling like I can't move and feeling like so much fear consume my body. And I looked over and I had my phone on my nightstand and I realized that the music was paused. The music wasn't stopped. The music was paused. And I woke up in the middle of the night in so much fear that I couldn't move. And I just looked to my left and I saw that my phone, the music was paused. Mm. So it was like the only reason why I feel that fear consumed my body was because the worship music was stopped. And that's when I really truly started to believe that there's so much power in worship and there's so much power in music in general. Um, and that God truly can comfort us through worship music. And I think that that kind of plays into the therapeutic music realm where like there's music therapy, there's art therapy, there's, there's so many different ways to approach therapy that so many people think it's sitting and having a conversation with someone that you don't know. Like, no, there's literally therapists that will sit there and like paint with you. And that's art therapy. There is literally, you can just listen to a bunch of music or I know there's people that like go into nursing homes and they like just play and sing music for people. Um, and I truly do believe that there's different ways of therapy and the church can approach all of those ways. The church literally has such a powerful hand to approach every single way of therapy. Like we, I think we underestimate how much power the church has. We have music. We can do art therapy. We can do art therapy with kids. Like in the, like we have life kids. We can do art therapy with our kids ministry because there's kids that are going through it. Like I just said, nine years old, tried to commit suicide. Like there are literally kids that are suffering. We can introduce art therapy to them. We can introduce music therapy to the church. We can introduce actual sit down therapy to people. Like there's not just one way of therapy that the church could approach. Like uh, why is there such a gap in it? Absolutely. And I want to educate the people for, for, for just a second. Um, music is biblical. Music uh -huh. is... It's biblical. It's been since the beginning of time. I don't think I don't think enough people understand that that literally uh, the angels were making songs about singing to God. Like that it, it started that's been the language of heaven. And I want people to also realize that the enemy um was literally the choir director um in heaven. That was his job before he got kicked out of heaven. Um, and that's a whole different conversation for a whole different time, but that, that's a hot topic in itself because oof, anyway, um, but music has been such a hot point. And so it's, it's, it's biblical. It's been since the beginning of time and it's, it's been the language of heaven since. So it's had that very powerful effect, which is, which is why music has been taken. Like, of course the enemy likes to distort things, um, and twist things. It's why, um, it's why music has such a powerful effect, even uh, secular music. Uh -huh. And I'm using secular music loosely because not all music is Christian either, but not all secular yeah. music is bad. You know what I'm trying to say, but, yeah. um, music has such an effect. It's been proven to have such an effect in music therapy. Why? Because again, it's, it was created in heaven. So the things that yeah. was created since the beginning of time, um, 
have such power we don't use like you said the church doesn't utilize that power enough which again just in the same way with with education if parents and the church is not educating what does that leave leave the leave it it leaves it to be uh-huh. taken by the world and um utilized in its own way so again uh-huh. there's nothing wrong with um music therapy isn't all bad but again yeah. music can be used in such a powerful when we're talking about sex we're talking about drugs we're talking about money um and other ways that i I love i love music i could have a conversation about music all day and brie knows that i'm always sharing music on my on my personal ig page as well and music that i'm listening Mm -hmm. to because it has such a powerful effect it's been proven and i think I, i say all that to say to kind of wrap that up and again it's it started in heaven so if if God knew and the angels knew how powerful music was, how much more should we begin to utilize that as Christians uh-huh. and find ways to put that into the church, have music therapy, have art therapy, have these different outlets that we have to start finding ways to start using these things. Because if not, then it's just going to be given to the world or given to whoever to be taken and used in however way they want to use when really a lot of things, um, were God's authority to begin with or God's creation to begin with have been taken. And I think we, as the church have just sat by and not done nothing, um, too long. And I think we haven't taken back the things that were rightfully ours to begin with. And I say ours because as Christians, we are in born into the family of God. And we, Uh as we, we are heirs of everything he owns. And, um, as, as coming into salvation with him. So I want to make that point very clear is that by access through Jesus Christ, we have that access to everything that was already God's to begin with. So I think we have the authority to take those things back and use it for God's glory and use it um, to impact people. Um, So again, in the church, when we're talking about specifically mental health in the church, music has such a powerful effect in music therapy. If people are having the outlet in church, what are they going to look to? They're going to look to um, whoever else can give them, goes back, back to the basis of what you said um searching for that feeling feeling to be accepted feeling to have an outlet of their emotions feeling to have this they're gonna find it somewhere whether it may, may be through worship music whether and if it's not through music therapy biblically it's going to be through another outlet of okay they make me feel accepted they, they're saying everything that i'm feeling right now so i have to i'm gonna gravitate towards that music um so that's my two cents on that but i just want to educate people and say that literally since the beginning it's it's biblical. It's, it's, it's since the beginning of time. So yeah. if, if, if heaven knew how powerful and how much music was to the, and even the point that the choir director got kicked out of heaven and now he's in charge of, um, making music that is not used yeah. to glorify God in a sense. So he, he would know even the, the, the effect of, um, how powerful music can be. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but I do. So basically, I kind of want to tie the past two things we've been talking about together. Um, You were talking about, and we both were talking about how parents need to educate their kids about suicide. And I even said, I was like, if we're not the ones to teach our kids, where are they going to hear it from? Um, A lot of people, like you said, are scared to bring up those conversations with their kids because they think it's a sore subject. Again, they don't want to plant the seed in their kid's head. My favorite song used to be Suicidal and um, Beautiful Girls. Like, two songs that I used to listen to all the time until I actually realized the meaning of them. First of all, Suicidal 
your love is suicidal is like the main line of the song another for beautiful girls um it's why it'll never work and it's like she you had me suicidal so my thing is if we're not teaching our kids about suicide and the truth about suicide and how it tears people apart and how it'll hurt your loved ones it'll hurt your friends it'll hurt that person that cares about you if we're not teaching our kids about suicide and what they need to be taught about suicide then the media is only going to glorify it the media glorifies suicide i don't know if anybody else watched 13 reasons why i absolutely hate that show i hate that show i never use the word i hate that show because in my mind that show glorifies suicide so much and people are like no it teaches about suicide prevention no that show brings too much light to suicide Mm -hmm. in such a false way nobody is going to write 13 tapes to 13 people and then kill herself like i'm sorry but that's just not the reality of suicide like you don't have people that you love in suicide and you don't have motivation like it just completely it created a wrong image of suicide and I 100% believe that if we're not going to be the ones to teach about suicide to our kids, to our generations, to the younger generation, to even if it's not our kids, if we're not teaching suicide in general, if we're not teaching about the pain it causes and about ways, like I've been say- saying, like proactively to stop suicide before it happens, then they're going to learn about suicide in a glorified way from the media. We hear, like, the word suicide is in every song, and you never hear about how wrong it is. You only ever hear, oh, beautiful girl, your love is suicidal. Your love makes me want to kill myself. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And this media, and, like, I feel like this also plays into the church because so many people in the church are like, oh, well, it's almost like a sheltering thing where it's like, okay, well, my kids just won't listen to that kind of music. Well, sorry, but your kids eventually are. Like, sorry, but as much as you shelter your kids, they're eventually going to be exposed to it. Like when they're at school and their friends are listening to it or when they're friends with someone who that's his favorite song. I was exposed to the song Beautiful Girls from such a young age. I didn't even know what suicide was when I was singing that Mm. song. Like, this is the thing. This is the truth of it is we're exposed to things without our parents showing it to us. But if our parents showed us it in a proactive way and introduced it to us in a proactive way, then we'd be able to handle things before we just let it happen. You know, like we need to rip off that bandaid. And as a future want to be parent, God willingly, of course. And of course with you, if you want to be a dad, if I want to be a mom, we have to accept that we're going to have to have hard conversations with our kids, mm. but they're going to be proactive long-term. Mm. These conversations that we have about mental health need, will be long-term. And there's still people my age, maybe even your age, who haven't had those conversations with people of the wrongs of suicide or how hurtful it is or how wrong it is to want to take your own life over such temporary issues and such temporary things or to have such a feeling that you can't live another day. Or like you will never be happy. Like we're not having, we're not combating these feelings with solutions. We're combating them with, oh, let me shut it down. Oh, no, 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 don't talk about suicide. No, 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 don't talk about suicide. That's such a bad thing. Don't talk about it. You don't have to worry about suicide till you're older. Until a nine-year-old, you know, tries to kill himself. Like we always, and I always hear this too, as schools. Like now I'm kind of rambling, but this is this is facts. Schools. Schools never have suicide prevention assemblies until someone in the school commits suicide. Mm. I'll say that again. A school will never have a suicide prevention assembly until a kid in the school prevents suicide or commits suicide. You will never hear your school talk about suicide until someone within that school is dead. 
the the morning after that person commits suicide, everybody's in an assembly. But why is nobody in an assembly throughout the year? Why aren't we having these discussions throughout the year? Why aren't we preventing it? Why are we only talking about suicide after it happens? Right. This is why I'm so passionate about this because it's not something, it's really not something that you can just talk about when you feel like talking about or when you're comfortable or when they're old enough. The conversation about suicide needs to be had at a young age, not the conversation of what suicide is, but how to prevent it. Yeah, We need to teach our kids this. We need to take those steps. Absolutely. You talked about this a few times, but you talked about a nine-year-old even committing suicide. Yeah. Um, I think even as young as, shoot, I don't know, even five years old, we need to start having conversations. And I'm not saying hit them, hit them with heavy topic, heavy no. topics like Jacob. No. Like, are you are you feeling like committing suicide? That's not what I'm talking about. But it's like kids, even like babies, the innocents. We need to find ways to help them navigate their emotions instead of just mm-hmm. letting them. Like, I don't know. It's funny because you made the reference to my age, like like I'm that much older than you. You really made me feel old when you said, you know, I don't know, even people maybe even your age. I was like, I was like, oh man, holy smokes! But the way the way kind of my generation was raised, the fact is we're we're, we're two different generations. That's okay, but um, the way my generation was raised, and this is more sort also a culture thing too, is that like if. I'm dealing with negative emotions or if I'm crying like in a store um, over candy, my mom was like, boy, you better stop that crying before I give you something to cry about. Instead of Mm -hmm. like being like, all right, well, listen, like explain, deal with my emotions versus like trying to supplement it for something else and try to beat it out of me. And I'm not coming at my mother or coming at how I was raised, but I'm saying like using it as as examples of how, and also that comes with not every conversation. They're also, I believe in discipline too. So I'm not out here saying don't discipline your kids. Try to have heart to heart conversations every time. Cause sometimes they just be acting wild and you just need to, they know better. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) but I think we need to have conversations to help kids, young kids, babies, even um, have conversations in help helping them navigate their emotions. And I think that also comes with the responsibility of a parent in education too. Um, of finding out how to have conversations because again you're not going to have a conversation with a five-year-old the same you would a nine-year-old you're not going to have a conversation with a 15-year-old the same way you would a nine-year-old so you have to find different ways of how to communicate that each child is different the age range is different so i think you have to find that but um again it goes back to the whole thing of we don't know how to ask questions or we're afraid to ask questions or um so we just leave it alone and then it leaves leaves them to their own their own devices which is completely dangerous but and i think that we're not like i'm thinking like we're not completely dismissing the whole mental health in the church because this is as much a church problem as it is a world problem because there's also like kids in the church like i mentioned why don't we have an assembly until someone commits suicide in the school but it's like there's people in the churches that are committing suicide and why aren't we talking about that there's been this ongoing debate are you going to heaven if you commit suicide and does anybody have an answer that's the thing you'll Mm. never hear a church talk about that you'll never hear a church talk about that but you see all these people in the church committing suicide but you'll never hear a church talk about suicide 
and that's the thing is I feel like we're so dismissive to the fact that like, well, Christians don't get that bad. No, 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 no. They do. The people around you are struggling. You just don't see it because you're blind to it. And I think that's something that like, as much as this is a world problem, it's also a very, very prominent church problem and it needs to be handled. Absolutely. It's like, it's like churches use trendy topics and I'm not trying to come at churches, but they use it as like a trendy topic. Like you said, like it's not discussed until it happens. And then, you know, it's a hot topic for maybe a couple of weeks and, mm-hmm. and then it's, and then it's not discussed again until the next thing happens again. Yeah. And you talked about that's, that's being reactive instead of proactive. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the front. I think the church yeah. in general needs to change its, its stance and being yeah. reactive to different things and being proactive mm-hmm. instead. Um, mm-hmm having different meetings set up, um, preaching it from, listen, if, if my pastor preaches mental health for 52 weeks every year, like every, I'm not going to be mad about it because you know what, that's something I deal with on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. It's like, and you shared and, um, this post, I think on your page a couple of days ago, and it has to do with Easter, but someone had posted and said, why am I so sad about the, the Monday after Easter ends? Mm-hmm. And it's because Easter is such a hot topic for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And we're just looking for the Easter season. And then, boom, it's gone. And it's the same thing mm-hmm. with, like, mental health. It's, yeah. okay, it's such a hot topic of, oh, did you hear? Oh, the so-and-so, the next celebrity just committed suicide. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Or, hey, the, the last pastor just committed suicide. Yeah. I didn't really think it got that bad. I thought he had it. I thought he was all good together. Mm-hmm. I thought it was this and that. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a yeah. hot topic. And then it's like... Oof, it's just gone the next day when really people are left to their own thoughts and their own, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Own thoughts and I guess own desires or different yeah. things on a daily basis and not just a hot topic basis or not just a weekly basis. It needs to be addressed mm-hmm. daily. So I think even, even in things of, we talk about how the church can do better. How about having like weekly, having like hotlines? Um, on mm-hmm. on a, on a like that that th- you can call the church at this number and yeah. have the church have someone sign up and sit in, um, have rotations of people. Um, and and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, uh, it, it can be retired people, people who don't currently work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Find a system to where you can have a hotline directly at the church because again, even if, and you can call an anonymous, it doesn't have to you have to report this because we have these national hotlines, we have all these different things, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use those because those are good. But in the same sense of what you talked about, as if you feel comfortable more talking to somebody in the church, yeah. if why would I want to call it? If I'm depressed, why would I want to call a national hotline? They they don't know me. To be honest, and I'm not again, I'm not knocking national hotlines. We need them because at least somebody is stepping up and, and taking yeah. taking um the the initiative on that. But okay. I'm not gonna want to call somebody who I don't know. But at the same time, maybe if I am struggling with depression and anxiety, I may not want to call someone that directly knows me either. So how about we meet somewhere in the middle and we have yeah. anonymous hotlines at the church? Because there may be someone who we're familiar with. There may be John, Jane, whoever else working the lines that, okay, I may not tell them who I am. But yeah. at the same time, hearing their voice or being familiar with um with knowing my struggle, so to speak, behind closed doors, they would have that that um ability to be able to to talk to me or have the ability to um communicate with me or relate to me in a way that someone who is behind a screen I've never met before or behind a phone call I've never met before on a national hotline yeah. may not be able to do. So that's maybe just another thought, you know? 
That's such a good point. I think that's something that needs to be brought forward to churches is like, one, we need to have an on-site licensed therapist like that's associated with the church. And two, we need to have that hotline because like you said, like you don't want to call someone that doesn't know your life because a lot of the time, this is what I realized when you're at the point where you're like fed up and you're done and you're just super depressed and you're like, whatever, like I'm done. This is it. You don't feel like explaining what you're going through to somebody and like having to explain your entire life to them that led up to this moment. And I'm not saying that you wouldn't do that for a church hotline, but it's also nice to know that you could call a hotline that's associated with the church and that they can give you like a loving church response in a sense where it's like, okay, like let's pray or like just someone who could pray for you over the phone. A lot of the time, if I'm just super like anxious and I'm super like heart is racing, literally can't breathe and someone prays over me, it just instantly calms me down. Yeah. And there's so many like, okay, if you don't need prayer, there's sometimes where people will be like, can I pray for you? And I'm like, please just don't. I just don't want to hear it right now, which is rude. But like at the same time, sometimes we just can't. Sometimes I'm like, I, I, I really don't want to hear that right now. And so then I'll call a hotline that's a national hotline that won't pray for me over the phone. But if I do feel like I need prayer in that moment, just call a church hotline. And I think those are resources that churches need to offer because as much as mental health is outside in the world, it's also present within the church building. And we need to have these conversations of there's people sitting in the booth next to you, to your left and to your right. It could even be your own family member sitting to your left and to your right that's going through a mental battle that you know absolutely nothing about. And to know that help is within their reach. We always say help help is within reach, but you could call 20 therapists before you find one that matches your insurance, is cheap enough for you to afford, has available availability is able to take you as much as you need it like there's no availability and there's all it's so hard to find help and we're like help is within your reach really it's not really it's not there's not enough resources and we need to have those resources as the church like we need we have church members and I'm not saying every church member is perfect at this but we have church members that are willing to walk us walk alongside us but we also need to have those resources such as a hotline of someone who can pray for you 24/7 availability hotline that if you need help you'll have help from the church you'll have people praying for you over the phone you'll have people reaching out to you too we need a licensed therapist to be within the church building standing alongside the pastoral team they're not out of reach they're very easy to get and it's hey I need help. I don't have to go to my pastor as if he's my therapist. I can have someone who went to school for this, who is licensed, who's a professional, help me with what I'm going through. And they also understand my stance of where I am. I am a Christian. We need to have that. We There's so much separation with mental health and the church. We need to mend them together. We need to have that mend because there are people in the building that are suffering and we shouldn't have them go outside of the building to get help. They should be able to find help within the building Mm. and help is in more than Jesus. We have science, we have resources, we need help within the church. And this is what I'm saying. There's so many people that think that they don't have enough help in the church. So they leave the church and they go into the world to get help and they get addicted to drugs. They start going into alcohol. They're in all these toxic relationships. They're having sex. And this is stuff that's like, it's filling a temporary void. We talked about this in part one. It's filling a temporary void. It's not fulfilling them, but they didn't have the help that they needed in the church. So they went outside of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we have about 20 minutes left. Okay. This is really going to be the final part because we've been, we've been going okay. on forever. Yeah, well, um, I'm tired. <laughs> but I want to go, I want to talk about, I want to go back a little bit. Here's the direction okay. I want to go for the last 20 minutes. I want to mm-hmm. go back for a little bit. And then I had two um, questions that were in the question box that I want to get to as well. And that should probably finish up um, yeah. 
this last part of what we're talking about here. But I want to go back to, and it ties into what are some mistakes Christians make when it comes to struggling yeah. when pe- to to those struggling with their mental health. And you you yeah. you made a point there. You were talking, and you said some. You said even when I'm praying or um. I'm butchering the whole thing, but you said something along the lines of um, people ask, um, can I pray for you or something like that? And sometimes you just don't feel like it. Um, so I say all that to say is I think another mistake, I don't know, I don't think we address this. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think another mistake that needs to be talked about um, is how quick we're um, just willing to throw the Bible and scripture at people. Um, as is just autom- the the automatic solution. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> the thing is, I talk in TikTok language now, so the fact that <laughs> the fact that you just did that, some people it probably went way over their heads. But for me, that that meant everything to me because I'm like, yo, TikTok language. <laughs> um, but yeah, because I know and. And it's, this is something that you can relate to, especially because we've had yeah. conversations about this and I don't want to put your, your personal business out there, but You're good. <laughs> um, even a, a couple months ago, you were going through something yeah. and the automatic response is, oh, Brie, go open your Bible, go, you know, pray more, go do this and that. Instead of just, and really the root thing that you, you, you expressed it, that to me was you wanted somebody to listen to you or you just wanted somebody to sit there with you. Uh-huh. And I think, so I think the biggest mistake is we put our Christian head on as Christians yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's even, I feel it's controversial to even say, because you're like, wait a minute, you put your Christian head on as a Christian. You should have, and I, you should, but at the same time, there's a. There's a point in the place. I know for me personally, and this is where we we relate to so much, is that when I'm sitting in my mess, I don't want to hear scripture. I don't want to. I don't want someone to tell me I need to pray more. I need to do this and that because I know that. To be honest, like I, I know, I, and I think a lot of times, even when we're having this whole conversation, people know what to do, but it's when I'm struggling to see the light. Can you sit with me? And this is where you talked about maybe all the way in part one. We talked about people coming alongside like that's the most needed thing in the church mm-hmm. um so again that's a mistake that we make is putting that christian hat on and being like all right well let me throw the scripture out at you and this and like yeah. yo i just want you to sit here with me in my mess and acknowledge that my feelings are valid it's not yeah. sitting there yeah. saying oh yeah let's be depressed together for two weeks together yeah. i'm not saying that but it's acknowledge that my feelings are real acknowledge that yeah that does suck because let's be yeah. life, life just sucks sometimes it's we go through um struggles mental health struggles we do like we and we need to just acknowledge that and i think when we automatically throw out scriptures and we automatically do this it's a form of dismissing someone's feelings and it's Mm -hmm. really rude (laughs) to be honest like call it what it is it's rude like you wouldn't um that's like kind of saying all right well you know and it's jesus is is the answer to everything so we're not here saying that it's not but you can kind of address it from your standpoint of that, but um, just just talk for a couple of minutes about that mistake that the Christian hat that we sometimes put on or, or Christians do yeah. when someone is struggling. So I'll be honest, like that mindset almost ruined my relationship. And I, I guess you, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but I think Josh can 
he knows because I talked to him through the whole thing. But when I first started dating Justin, it was such a, like, when I was going through something, it was, like, very, oh, here's a Bible verse. Let's pray together, this, this, that. And I was, like, I just feel like I'm not being listened to. I felt like nobody in my life was just taking the time to listen to me. And because they knew I was a Christian, they thought that a Bible verse and, like, slapping a Bible verse on something or just praying for me over the phone was going to help me instantly. And I'm like, a lot of the time, that's how we dismiss one clinical diagnosis. That's how we dismiss chemical imbalances. That's how we dismiss that someone actually has a mental issue. And we completely dismiss that. And we invalidate that because we're like, oh, well, prayer will help you. And I understand there is like physical healing that comes with prayer. I believe in healing through prayer. However, it's like, that's just so dismissive. Long run, sure. Keep praying for my, keep praying for my brain. Keep praying for my chemical imbalances. But short term, that's not going to help me. Like you trying to get rid of my chemical imbalance isn't going to make me feel better in that moment. Um, and so in that moment, what I need is someone to walk, walk alongside of me, someone to just listen to me, like literally, and I would say this, I'm like, if I go on FaceTime and I say this to Josh sometimes too, it was like, if I'm on FaceTime and like, I'm just ranting, just go on mute. If you feel that you need to say something, just go on mute because sometimes I just need a rant and I just need someone to listen or I'll call someone and be like, Hey, I just need to go off for a second. Just go on mute. Let me go off. And then you can unmute and tell me what you want to say. But for now, just let me go off. And I just need that time to like pour out and just like express everything I've been feeling and everything I've been holding in without someone being like, well, do you know what the Bible says about that? Well, God says, well, this says, well, that says, well, let me pray for you because Yes, those are solutions. And yes, those are helpful. But in the moments where I feel so filled up with anxiety and so filled up with emotion, I just need to pour those emotions out without getting poured back into. And I think a lot of the time, I love to use the analogy of a cup. I think of a lot of the time, if we imagine ourselves as a cup and we imagine ourselves full of anxiety, we can't fill ourselves with the word and it pour out the anxiety. A lot of the time we need to empty out our anxiety, fill ourselves up with the word. So if I'm a full cup, so say this bottle's holding up my phone, say I'm this bottle, as you can see, it's pretty full, right? So say this bottle's full of my anxieties. If I keep pouring God's word and if I keep having people pouring his truth into my life, it's not 100% going to make me feel full because I still have anxiety sitting mm. in the bottom. All you're doing is pouring God on top of my anxiety. That's good. But as I pour out onto others, now this is about to get good. Hold on. As I'm pouring out onto others, I'm pouring out from the top. So I'm pouring God's love onto others, but eventually I'm still going to have anxiety That's because good. I never got rid of the anxiety and then filled myself up with God. I only covered it up with God and then I poured all that God out onto others and that anxiety was still there sitting in the bottom. Jeez. So we want to sit here and we wonder why we don't feel better when people pour into us with God, but we never let that anxiety out. We never found a solution for that anxiety. However, if you're taking medication, it's combating that anxiety. If you have someone that's just listening to you, it's pouring out that anxiety. If you have solutions to dealing with your anxiety, but also having God's word, then you're able to really feel full. You're able to be filled up by, how oh, I just poked myself in my eye. You're able to be filled up by his word because you have more than just your anxiety sitting in the bottom of your cup and God's word on the top. You're filled with his word because you were able to empty out or because you were able to get rid of that anxiety from the start. And I think that's what Christians miss. I think we miss and we think, oh, well, let me just pour into them the way that God would. 
the way that God would is just sitting with them and just mm-hmm. being there with them. We see the adulterous woman, we see her and he literally just kneels down to her and gets on her level and he's just comforting her. And in that moment, he's just there for comfort. He's not there to tell her, yeah, well, what you did was wrong, but I'm not going to be the one to say it. Look at these guys. They're saying it, not me. They're the ones saying it. I'm sitting back. I'm just here. He didn't stand above her and be like, oh, well, this is what God says. This is what God says about your situation. No, he knelt down to her level and was there on eye level and was there with her through her shame. And that's something that we completely miss is that we need to be there with them on their level and not just dismissive to it. I'm going to say this last point, and I really want to just because I want to try to squeeze in these last yes. uh, couple points here. But um I have to go back and read through scripture, but I don't I don't remember a time off the top of my head, and again I may be wrong, I have to go back and look, but that Jesus really talked scripture to someone <laughs> um that was really going through. Did you just drop your phone? I did because I moved my cup. I was uh, holding my phone. <laughs> okay, I just we're just gonna pretend like that never happened. But um when somebody was going through something and Jesus was addressing, I don't remember a point where he just shouted scripture back at them the only one he shouted scripture was to the religious folks to to the pharisees that were coming down on other people trying to use the law against them or use scripture against them for why they should be punished or why they should do this and that but when it came to like you said the adulterous woman when it comes to the woman at the well when it comes to all these different things it was he met them at their level and he was just talking and then it was i'm then i'm gonna hit you with this truth and show you who i am and let who i am um we have to let whew, we have to people have people sit down at their level and then through that they can even see they can see Jesus. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just yeah. leave it at that because we could talk for a whole nother ten minutes. I don't I'm trying to see if if this comes across your screen here. Oh I see it. Um how can the church address mental health issues triggered by hatred about sexuality? I know this is a tough one. I just talked about this on our Monday night Bible study and I'm gonna make this answer short because i could really go on a whole nother live about this and honestly justin's gonna post the recording from our monday night zoom and i can send noah i can send you the link for it because we talked about this the entire like three hour discussion um but literally one word love literally one word well how can the church address issues okay how can christians be better with it is love but that's not really what you asked how can the church address mental health issues triggered by hatred about sexuality um, I would say under, I guess it's still kind of the same answer, kind of what Josh and I are talking about, like getting down on their level and understanding. And like I said on the Zoom, I feel like a lot of the time, like Christians have this pride. So they stand above people who are like below them in their words and people who are sinners and struggle with sin or struggle with mental health. And a lot of the time they stand above them and are like, it's going to be okay. Like pat on the shoulder. God's got you. God's got you. And it's like, that doesn't really help anyone. That's not helping anyone in those moments where like you feel like you have to look up on a Christian and feel like you're below them. That's not helping you. Um, I think the church has a very big influence on people who struggle with their sexuality having worsening mental health because they put so much guilt and shame on people who struggle with sex like their sexuality um the church really does put so much shame of well you're a sinner well if it's so bad to be a sinner then it's bad for me too because i'm also a sinner um and i think that we do we don't do the best job of completely putting it out there that 
one is not you shouldn't be ashamed of your sin to a degree um and like one you shouldn't be ashamed of your sin to where you can't live with yourself but you shouldn't be ashamed to your but you should be ashamed of your sin and sin enough to know that it's wrong and to want to counteract it if that makes any sense um but yeah i just think that one the church needs to do a better job of loving and getting down on the level like we were speaking about but i also think that the church is encouraging um people who struggle with their sexuality to have mental health issues because we fill these people with so much shame and guilt. Um, and there's nothing that can really stop that besides having conversations like we are right now. And besides talking about it and people speaking up about how the church has hurt them. That's good. I'm not even going to add anything to that. Cause like you said, we can, we can go on for, yeah. for hours about that one just in itself. That's good. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to come back and address that another, yeah. um, later on down the line. But, um, Let's see. Another question here. Okay. With anxiety, would y'all have any tips on dealing with it? Um, honestly, I won the salt trick that I talked about before. I don't know if anybody was in here. But if you're, like, feeling super anxious and you feel like you can't get your mind to stop, stop like, stop thinking about every worst situation, then putting sip, putting salt on your... <laughs> Someone's trying to come in my room. Putting salt on your tongue will like instantly make your minds like think about something else. So one, putting salt on your tongue sounds so weird, but it's so true. And two, understanding that your brain is like a downward spiral. Your brain starts thinking about one thing. And like Josh said in the beginning, your brain starts thinking about one thing. And then every single thought after that gets you to the end result of feeling super, super anxious. So if you understand the things that you're thinking that start your anxiety, then you can counteract them. If you've think that first thought then you can be like oh my gosh this might lead to really bad anxiety how can i stop this before it happens that's good um i'm going to answer that in 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 simple and as quick as i can but naomi i want to say um shoot me a dm or shoot brie a dm uh, yeah. we, we could talk further about that i don't want to mm -hmm. dismiss and even um i forget who that was but i think it was um who, who was that that asked that, that previous question i'm trying to Noah. Noah, Noah, even if you want to message, uh, DM me and Brie, um, shoot, you could even put us in a group conversation and we could, we could answer questions that way. Um, uh, cause I don't want to dismiss anybody else's question, but I know we just have a few more minutes and we'll wrap up, but, um, I can talk about from my personal experience when it comes to anxiety. Um, usually I'm anxious about the future. Um, anxious about thinking about, um, 10 years from now, like literally thinking about how I'm, how I'm going to get from tomorrow to 10 years from now. Like that's literally sometimes what, um, my anxiety is rooted in. And I remember, especially this is talking about therapy, like my therapist, um, and it's, it's, it's a control factor. So the thing that's the root of anxiety. So what she broke it down for me was, it was like s simple questions of, um, what can you control right now? Who do you have control over? Um, what can you do right in this moment? And it was just simple things for me that helped um, my brain slow down. Because anxiety is my mind's racing, my mind is racing, my mind is racing about this, 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 and this. How am I going to solve all that? So it helped slow my brain down and help me focus on one question at a time and um, really come to a solution that way, really force my brain to slow down. That's one point. And then the second point really is um, list for me or, or, or schedules. So I'm a very schedule oriented person, which can be the worst person for someone who struggles with anxiety. But, um, 
if it's a big overall project and I'm thinking about, um, for example, I want to get married in 10 years. I'm thinking about being anxious. Okay, what's what's the first what's the first thing I have to do? Hmm, let's see, have a conversation with a with with somebody or let's see, work on myself. But it's breaking down those different things into shorter, smaller goals um instead of this overarching big thing that I'm trying to get to that helps me with yeah. my anxiety. Um so those are two really quick points. Um but we're getting ready to wrap up here um just cuz I don't want it to cut us off again. But if you guys have any questions, um, a few closing things I'm going to say, and then we're going to close up here. But if you guys have any questions, feel free to DM either Bree or myself. Um, we would love to answer your questions. This is, we're not trying to solve, solve mental health in one night. We understand that it's a bigger topic than, than the, uh, than we're addressing at this point, but it starts here. It starts with conversations. It starts with being humble, open, and transparent and willing to acknowledge, um, where we're wrong, where we need to get better. Um, the things that we can do better. Um, perfect timing. Cause we got like a minute and 30 left, but okay. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. I thank you Bree yeah. so, 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 so much for coming on. This will not be the last time she is on my live. Um, but again, thank you guys so much for tuning into this Tuesday table talk. Um, I am live every other Tuesday. Um, I'm going to upload the first part of this discussion. We had three parts, um, immediately after this, I'm gonna upload the first part. And then, um, you guys can follow me. I will let you guys know for more, more information about when the other two parts will be uploaded. Again, I'm live every other Tuesday. Um, not necessarily with guests, but just talking about different things when it comes to, um, the Christian faith and the Christian walk and even things that may not be of the Christian faith, but we, we, we can get there in a whole nother, a whole nother topic. But uh, again, thank you so much for Bree. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Those who have hung with us for these three parts. I know we it turned into a whole three hour discussion, um, that we didn't even plan for, but look at God, he has bigger plans than we have sometimes. Uh -huh. Um, we just going to end it right here. I really don't have anything else to say again. If you guys have any questions, feel free to DM me and Bree. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Bree, I don't know if you have any final things to say. You have 20 seconds left, so the pressure on the clock is on if you do have anything. But <laughs> Thank you for having me on, and thank you guys for sticking with us for three hours because it's been a lot of fun. And let's make this change. Everything that was talked about, let's actually make it happen. Let's not let the conversation end here. Absolutely. All right, y'all. This is Tuesday Table Talk. Josh signing off. Um, I'll see you guys in the next live. Bye.